Well, welcome everybody. We are glad that you are here with us. Last Sunday worship service of 2019. And if you are visiting, you are especially welcome, as has already been said by uh, our brother Dilworth. Uh, we are going to have a Bible class. We're going to have a time of fellowship right after this, and we're going to have a Bible class, and then we're going to have a potluck. And visitors, you would be so welcome to stay f uh, and join us for our potluck. I hope that you will consider doing that. I know you may have other plans, but... Uh, You'd be doing us a big favor if you stayed. So, I don't want a show of hands exactly, but in your heart you can raise your hand. What, how many of you uh, have ever eaten crawdads? Oh, okay, all right. David's not ashamed. I... Um, we, for our Christmas dinner, we had a shrimp boil. We just poured all the seafood out on the table. That was kind of our thing. And I almost bought a, a big uh, thing of crawdads to go with that. And something stopped me, and I realized later what that was. When I asked my wife about it, she said, no, those are bait. That's not food. I guess it depends on how you were raised, David. I don't know. Um, there are, there are certain foods that we don't think of as, uh, as food at all. There are other foods that are okay with us and not okay with somebody else. Yogurt is one of those foods. For some people, it's wonderful. For other people, it's just sort of what happens when the milk sits out too long. You know, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. How many of you have had kombucha? Okay, that's where I draw the line, I will tell you right now. I, I do not want to drink anything. I don't even want to look at anything that I feel like might be looking back at me. I definitely don't want to put it in my body. I mean, that's just, that's a cleanliness issue. The section of Matthew that we're looking at today uh, is actually about uh, that idea. What you put in your mouth, is it dirty, is it clean? Uh, the Jews, of course, had strict laws about the kinds of foods they could eat and the kinds of foods that were forbidden. And they had a lot of laws about how to clean their houses and how to clean their dishes and so forth. And by the time of Jesus, there were a bunch of extra traditions about that. The, the Pharisees in particular were famous for adding a lot of extra things. If you really want to be clean, if you really want to be pure before God, then this is the way that you need to behave. And Jesus obeys every bit of the law of Moses, but he's not very particular about obeying the traditions that the Pharisees think are so important and that they use to kind of set them apart from other groups and maybe to feel superior to other groups of Jews. And, and that offends them and so we have kind of a mini confrontation here about that issue and it's supplemented by some other things that Matthew tells us that he draws from the events around Jesus so let's start with that confrontation it's in Matthew chapter 15 and we're going to be in Matthew 15 for this whole morning so if you have your Bibles you can turn there Matthew chapter 15 verses 1 through 9 kind of tells you the setup some Pharisees 
and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Korban, devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching is merely human rules. So here we have that confrontation. The Pharisees had at the time quite an important position in Jewish society. They were not the absolutely most powerful group, but they had a lot of power, a lot of influence, a lot of respect. People, if you were having a party, if you could get a Pharisee to come, that Pharisee would be seated up towards the, the head of the table if possible, because that was likely to be a person who who helped run the local Jewish church, the synagogue, and, and likely to be a person who might be teaching your children uh, about the law of Moses on Saturdays. And so the Pharisees had a, an important position. Part of how they had that position was these traditions of the elders that they had studied and poured over and combined and compared. These traditions of the elders, and they... And then the Pharisees were famous for trying to live according to those traditions, far beyond the requirements of the actual law, going beyond that because, uh, they said, because of their devotion to God. Uh, the Pharisee, and Jeremy preached about this a few weeks ago, you know, the Pharisees wanted to say, well, if the line of, of sin is here, let's put, the, let's put the traditions of the elder out past that so that people won't even get close to the line of actual sin. Now we may look down on the Pharisees, we may think that they're kind of uh, crazy and legalistic, but how many of us, let's be honest, don't recognize that spirit of the Pharisees in ourselves and in some of the people that are around us? I think we all know that it's kind of tempting to have some rules that I am keeping really well that allow me to look down on other people. I think we know how that dynamic works. And that's what's going on in this passage. That's happened thousands, maybe millions of times in the history of all the world's religions probably. Certainly in the history of the Jewish religion and the Christian religion. And here it is happening on the page. And the Son of God, the King, God's King is going to confront it. What does he say about it? Well, he could have gone in several different directions, but he decides to answer the Pharisees by their own standards. I think Jesus could have just laid into them, and he does that a little later in the Gospel of Matthew, but instead he chooses to answer the Pharisees by their own standards. What's the point of having these traditions? It's to keep you from ever getting even close to violating the commandments of God. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of that. And he says, okay, look, I've watched what you guys do. And yes, you're very careful about washing your hands and never eating unless you 
washed your hands and washed your dishes and washed your cups. And that's fine. That's fine. But do you realize that those same traditions that you are relying on to make you superior to the people around you, those same traditions are being used to violate what God has explicitly commanded in the law of Moses. It's not one of the little minuscule laws either. It is a fundamental law. It's in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. If that commandment means anything, it means that when your parents are old, you bear the primary responsibility to make sure that they are taken care of. Honor your father and mother. And Pharisees, what have you done about that? You have come up uh, with a series of ways to tell people that if they really want to get out of their financial responsibility for their aging parents, here's the way to do it. And you've done it actually using the law of Moses to counteract the law of Moses. It was crucial. It's mentioned in many places in the law of Moses. If you make a vow to God, if you promise God something, you need to keep that vow. And there are severe consequences if you don't keep that vow. The Pharisees saw that. Their elders had seen that. And their tradition said, yeah. So yes, of course, you've got to take care of your parents. But there is a commandment that's even more important is that you honor God. And if you've made a vow, if you've said, well, these possessions of mine, and when I die, I promise to give them to God, now they don't really, uh, they aren't really yours to dispose of. And you have to give them to God. And you can say to your parents, I'd like to help you. I'd like to, to take care of you while you're old and can't take, you can't take care of yourself. But I've made a vow to God. The Pharisees themselves felt bad about that particular line of legal reasoning. We actually know this because their own literature later contradicts it. Uh, The Mishnah is a written record of the traditions of the elders, and they talk about this practice, and they say, don't ever allow anybody to do this. So this is one of those cases where Jesus is ahead of the curb with the Pharisees themselves, and he answers them using their own kind of logic. He says, your traditions, which you think make you superior, in this case lead you to violate God's law. And so when you come to me asking why I don't make my disciples wash their hands, or why they don't wash their hands as often as you think they should, maybe you should think about that aspect of your traditions. That's a dramatic moment. That's a powerful moment. Later, the apostles come to him and they say, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended when, you, when they heard this? And he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they will fall into the pit. Jesus says, If the Pharisees do God's will, they'll prosper. If they are, as they are in this instance, opposing God's will, then they will fail. And the people that they are leading, the people that allow themselves to be led by them, will fail as well. That's Jesus' pronouncement. So what do we get? These Pharisees who have such an important position, 
They're in a position to help Jesus' ministry or hurt it. Turns out they're in a position to help get Jesus crucified, and they do involve themselves in that later. What do we learn about the Pharisees in this story? The Pharisees, who are the masters of cleanliness, that's what they're famous for, the clean Pharisees. That's what they stand out, physically clean, and that is supposed to reflect their ritual or spiritual cleanliness as well. The masters of cleanliness turn out to have dirty minds. That's what we see here. Here are people who are standing up and saying, I'm a teacher, follow what I teach you. Here's how you can be close to God. And Jesus kind of pulls back the veil and says, here you are being so careful about the externals while in your heart there is this rotten desire to rebel against what God himself has commanded. And you found a way to put scripture versus scripture to get you out of your obligations to God and to your parents. The Pharisees, masters of cleanliness in their society, turn out to have these very dirty minds. There's a parallel story that kind of is uh, brackets Jesus' comments. So on the back side of Jesus' comments, we have this story of a Canaanite mother, a mother who comes who's in great distress. And she's the opposite of the Pharisees. Everything they have, she lacks as far as Jewish culture is concerned. She's a woman. She has no standing to teach. She doesn't even have a standing to, to appear in court as a witness. Uh, she's a Canaanite. She's not even part of the covenant people. She is viewed by all the Jews as kind of perpetually in a state of uncleanness. A, a good Pharisee wouldn't even go into the house of a Canaanite person. Just on the assumption that everything in there, because it doesn't follow the law of Moses, everything in there is impure. And if you go in there, you'll be impure too. That's the Canaanite mother. And, and here we have this episode which is really interesting and strange to us. Starts in verse 21, if you're following in your Bibles. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and is suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and they urged him, send her away for she keeps crying after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she cried. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And the daughter was healed at that moment. That is a strange story on a bunch of different vectors. For one, here's Jesus acting very much as a part of his own culture. I was sent to Israel. I'm not sent to you. I won't even listen to your request. We know Jesus listened to Gentiles sometimes. We've already had a story of a similar healing with a similar outcome uh, of a centurion servant. 
The centurion comes and begs Jesus. And Jesus says, that's an example of great faith, greater than I've seen anywhere in Israel. And this story has the same kind of ending. Because of your faith, because of this answer, you, uh, your request is granted. It's still a strange story to us, though. Why would Jesus treat her like this? A couple of things I guess we can keep in mind. I don't know that I can make it stop being a strange story. I think it is a strange story for us. But a couple of things I think that will help us to keep in mind. I think we lose track of the fact of how compressed Jesus' public ministry was in his life. He lived maybe 30, 33 years or so. But he only was a pu ministering publicly for about three years. That's as long as, as the Jews would tolerate him and the Romans would tolerate him before they killed him. So he had three years to get everything done that he was sent to do while he was in the physical body. And he's already told, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 5, he's already told his disciples when he sent them out on their limited commission... Look, I'm not sending you to the Gentiles and I don't even want you to go to the Gentiles. You have enough to do just to go to the, the villages that are Israelite villages. Just go to those. Jesus' earthly ministry was a ministry to God's chosen people, Israel. The plan was to bring the message to that people and to use them as the launching pad for a ministry that would bless all the nations of the earth. But it starts by ministering to Israel. And so here we have a pure Gentile, a Canaanite, who is begging Jesus for help. It's like the future where Gentiles will be coming in in droves is starting to break in right here and right now into Jesus' ministry. And Jesus resists them. And he says, no. And she says, please. And he says, no. And he says, it's not right to take the bread that is sent to the children and give it to the dogs. That's a tough saying from Jesus' lips. But it sets up this amazing turnaround. This Canaanite woman who is fighting for the life of her daughter. She will not be deterred. She has no status. She has no rights. She's not part of the covenant. She is viewed by all the Jews as dirty. But she will not be silent because of what she desires for her daughter. And she comes up with this great off-the-cuff answer. Well, fine, okay, dogs, that's fine. Even the dogs get to eat table scraps that fall from the master's table. Lord, save me. She's another one who says, Lord, save me. And Jesus turns and he says, because of that answer, your request is granted. We've had the story of the Pharisees who are, by every standard of Jewish culture, the masters of ritual and physical cleanliness. And they are revealed to be 
dirty in their minds. And now we have this woman who in every way would be in the dirty category, the unclean category, who is suddenly revealed to be pronounced clean by Jesus. That's really what this story means. The Canaanite mother, who was thought to be dirty, is made clean by being filled with trust in Jesus. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. What made this woman clean? She didn't change her habits. She didn't start obeying the niceties of the law of Moses. She didn't suddenly become a member of physical Israel. Everything that made her dirty before was still in place. But here's what changed. She put her trust in the king, King Jesus Christ. And he says, you're saved. That is a profound moment. The story is preserved, even though it's odd to us, it's strange to us, it rings harshly in our ears. It's preserved for us because it, it tells you that truth. That whatever your status, whoever you are, whatever you've done, trust in Jesus Christ, putting your life in his hands, beginning to follow what he asked you to do, that can make you clean. That can make you saved. That can make you whole. And between these two stories, the stories of the criticism of the Pharisees and the and the story of this Canaanite mother who comes to Jesus, we've got the disciples coming to Jesus and asking, you know, well, what were you talking about? What, what, what are you going to do about what the Pharisees said? So starting in verse 10, we get this. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. That's all Jesus says to the crowds, and it's kind of a puzzling statement. What? What? How? What? What comes out of my mouth? How does, that, how does that work? And so the disciples come to him later. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then on out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. There's Jesus commenting on what his whole ministry is about. It's not the only thing he says on this topic. Go back and read the Sermon on the Mount if you want to know some more things he says about these ideas. But he says these, these niceties of ritual purity, they can just be on the surface. They don't really get to where the problems are. I've come to get 
all the way in where the real problems are. I've come to change things in you, not on the surface so that you're all polished up on the outside, but still dying from sin on the inside. I've come to go all the way to the root of the problem. It's what's on the inside that needs to be addressed. And I've come to address it, Jesus says. We had a guy come out this week to clean our filters and to check our furnace to make sure we were going to be toasty and warm for the winter, I guess. He checked our filters and he cleaned our furnace and, uh, and uh, you know, he, he told us his report, everything seems to be fine. And then he left. What if instead of that, he had said, well, your furnace requires some work. We're going to have to start tinkering around with it. I've had that report before. I've had to pay that price before. That would have been bad news, but I guess I would have borne with it. What if he said, you know, I've gotten into your furnace. I've been working on it. We're going to have to rip it out. We're going to have to give you a new one. I've gotten that news before, too. If you're a homeowner, you probably have, too, at some point. Get you a new furnace. This one's just no good. If you agree to that, then he comes back and he says, you know, I've been looking and, and really the furnace replacement isn't enough. We're going to have to get rid of the ducts too. We're going to have to redo your ductwork. It's expensive, but it's, gonna, it's the only way to really get at the problem. And then later he comes back and says, you know what? The whole foundation's rotten. We're going to have to just take down the house, get rid of all this mess, and just start over. Well, at what point would you fire that particular electrician? Anybody? But the story of Jesus is that story. A lot of us get him into our lives to start with because we want one particular problem fixed. I, Jesus, come and save me from hell. I don't want to face God in the judgment. Please cleanse my sins. Make me a right person. Or, Jesus, I, I, I know that I've messed up and I need forgiveness. Please put me back on track so I can get on with my life. We want Jesus to come and fix a problem and then, like my electrician, leave. But, if, but that doesn't work. That's not what faith is. That's not what trust is in the Bible. The trust of this Canaanite woman that we've seen exemplified, the lack of trust of the Pharisees that we've seen exemplified, is this. Jesus says, I have come to get to the very root of your problem. It's all the way in you, in your heart. And so I've come to transform your heart. What I'm about to do, Jesus is telling us, and as we read the rest of Matthew, we'll see this unfolding. What I'm about to do is to offer myself as a sacrifice so that you can be made, as Jeremy pointed out to us this morning, into a new creation. So that you can actually start to be what I have been 
a walking, talking temple of God on earth so that the Holy Spirit of God can come into your life the same way it came into the temple many, many centuries ago. And that everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit will be in you, blessing the world around you and making you pure. Day in and day out, I want your purity to start with the Holy Spirit in your life and radiate out. That's the cleanliness, that's the purity that I am interested in creating. How you eat, what you eat, that's not what makes you a clean person. Those externals don't ever, they, they can just sit out there on the surface and never get into what's really wrong. I want to change your heart, and I've come to make that happen. Now, it's possible for us to read what Jesus says here and just let it wash over us and so pass on. Come in one ear, out the other, and leave no lasting effect. But everybody who hears these words has a chance to respond to them. To say, yeah, that's fair. It was a fair thing to say about the Pharisees, but honestly, it's a fair thing to say about me too. Because again and again and again, I've been willing to offer God a few surface tokens rather than to let him all the way have his way with my heart. I've wanted to tell God, you know, God, I, I don't worship with instrumental musics. Will that be good enough? While in my head, especially when driving, I, I have murderous thoughts. Well, God, you know, uh, we have congregational autonomy at our church, just like it teaches in the New Testament. While deep within me, I am consumed with what Jesus calls adulterous lust. Well, you know, Jesus, we baptize by immersion. Just like the New Testament teaches, which it does. Isn't that good enough for you to paper over the fact that when I disagree with somebody, my first thought is to come up with nasty, slanderous words about them. Jesus says your heart is telling you where the sickness is. Murder, adultery, lust, slander. These things come boiling out of the sickness that's in you. Let my Holy Spirit have its way. Be trained by me. Be trained by what the Spirit says so that your life can become a vessel of purity for you and a blessing of purity to those around you. Every one of us can listen to the words of Jesus. Every one of us can hear what he has to offer and turn our hearts to accept it. Your belief, your trust, your faith in Jesus is not a one-time thing, church. It is day after day, 
week after week. Day after day, week after week, His Holy Spirit is calling you to a higher level of righteousness. Day after day, week after week, you have the choice to say, Today, I trust you. Today, I will let you have your way with me. Right now, as we come to the conclusion of this sermon, I make this invitation. If there is something that needs to change in you, if there's something you need help with, then, then take a step. Could be a public step coming forward and telling us, asking for our help and prayers. Could be a private step just where you are sitting, but take the step that you need to let God, let Jesus have his way in your life. If you need anything from us, please come as we stand and as we sing.